Episode 61 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined once again by my dear friend, Courtney Nguyen. Happy number 61, Courtney. 61, yo! It's a good age. It's, like, still, like, young enough to, like, be active and energetic and to accomplish things and do things, yet old enough to command respect. That's a beautifully put way of summing up that number. I was going to say about Roger Maris or something, but I think... I'm a, I'm a writer part-time, so it works out. Part-time. Pretty good with words. Part-time writer, part-time <laughs> talker. Yeah, full-time sleeper. There you go. Well, on this show, we're going to be hopefully not putting anyone to sleep. If you want to take a nap, we won't mind. We, won't, we don't know what you do. You know what? Sleeping. Bless you. It's the off-season. You guys should be napping. Yeah, so we really should be napping, too. But we're going to reflect on the season that was with a bunch of questions from you guys. The off-season is finally upon us, and it should be fun. Ready to put them to sleep, Courtney? I am ready. I'm always ready. Get your sleeping caps on. The final event of the season, which just wrapped up this past weekend, was the Davis Cup final. The Czech Republic defended its title, beating Serbia 3-2 in what was the first ever Davis Cup final to have there be five live rubbers where all five were won in straight sets, which was an interesting sort of way to prolong it, but at the same time never have it feel competitive. And none of the results, I think, were ever surprising um, and none of the matches were particularly compelling. Courtney, what do you what, what do you make of the punctuation mark that this put at the end of the 2013 season? Hmm. What kind of punctuation mark is it? It was like a non-dramatic ellipses, like a lazy ellipses. It's like I'm running out of gas ellipses. Like kind of I mean, like I don't know what to say, so I'm just going, but I can't really bring myself to construct a sentence in a proper way to end it with a period. So I'm just going to trail off. You like, you know, you know how like your friends email you in all ellipses now, which yeah. is dumb. Yeah. It's, it's the laziest form of punctuation. A lot of it's ways. the laziest form of punctuation. Like write a proper sentence. Yeah. No, I mean the Davis Cup final was fine. I do think that it was super weird that it just, it felt like a blowout, even though it was like a five rubber like tie. Right. And it just never felt, it just didn't it, it just was never in doubt and and i think that that's you know just like kind of the fed cup final i think that that's really where you lose any and all dramatic tension and then you add on top of that the fact that it's like the last thing of the tennis season and everyone's recovering from the world tour finals and you know kind of want everything to be over it's just really hard to kind of take it seriously i guess yeah to do a brief recap of what happened the first match djokovic beat stepanek in straight sets then Burdich beat Dusan Lajovic in straight sets. Lajovic was subbing for Tipsarovic, who was injured. And obviously, Viktor Troitsky has been banned, as we might have mentioned before on this show once or twice. And uh, he was not available for Serbia. And then the doubles saw uh, Burdich and Stepanek, who are a really, really good Davis Cup doubles team. They're like, four, Incredibly they're like good. 14 and 1 or something crazy. Yep. They beat the team of Bozeliak and Zimanić a team who had previously beaten the Bryans when Bozeliak just sort of zoned out of his mind. Um, there was some thought that Djokovic might play that. I personally thought he really needed to for the Serbs to have a chance of winning the tie just because Lajovic wasn't going to beat any of those respectable singles players that the Czechs had, and they needed to get a third point, and that was their only real shot. It's possible that you could catch lightning in a bottle again with Bozeliak, but I think it was 
a big ask. Both of and Zimnich lost in straight sets. Then Djokovic beat Burdich in the one versus one match, and then the two versus two match was an absolute rout, and Stepanek just killed Lajovic, I think, three, one, and one, and the Czechs defended. And it's just, yeah, it just was not something that will be remembered. I don't think. No, I don't think I don't think that it will. And, you know, for all the chatter about Djokovic playing doubles, I mean, yes, I think that there I see the logic in the argument that there was no way they were going to get that fifth point in singles or whatever third point in singles. So you might as well try and, you know, roll the dice and have Djokovic play doubles. But like he's a horrible doubles player, not horrible, but like. He's not good. Like, I mean, the Serbian doubles team, it's not like when he plays, they win all the time. So I'm not really... I I agree with that. I totally agree that he's not, like, you know, a great doubles player of the big four guys. He's probably the worst doubles player. Mm, Yeah. I I don't know. Andy Murray's pretty bad. (laughs) No, Andy Murray has carried his brother to several titles, first of all. That is true. That is true. I forget about Jamie Murray's double fault fest. Andy Murray has a silver medal in mix. Olympic silver medal in mix. Yeah. But let's be real. We know who carried that team. It was Andy. It was Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Laura. Andy (laughs) carried that team, and Laura hit two double faults in the super tiebreak in the gold medal match. Okay, but Andy, if he would have just hit at Vika on that very key tiebreaker point. Okay, he played one bad point. I agree. But when Laura double faults two times in the super tiebreak, she surrenders her chance to nitpick. Fair enough. Forfeits it. Yeah. Anyway, so I put Djokovic at the bottom of the big four double stack, which I'm sure doesn't bother him in the slightest. But yeah, he could have played, didn't. Yeah, there's just never, there was no match that I was going into thinking like, oh, this one could go the other way. Never happened. Really never didn't happened. happen. Just knowing that Djokovic, that the Burdich Stepanek team doesn't lose. Yeah, it was it was a dud. Followed up on a dud Fed Cup final, which we didn't really talk about before, in which Russia failed to send a top 100 player and lost to the Italians. Although that one at least had one close match. Uh, I was going to say, I don't think that the final that final was a dud. It was better it, than like, expected, but the expectations were dirt low. It was bad for a final. That's true. No, um, that's absolutely true. But the I mean, the Vinci-Panova match was right. quite riveting. Yeah, agreed with that. But then Irani disposed of the other ones pretty quickly. Exactly. Yeah, so we got a question that sort of follows up on this sort of, not directly on this, but on the sort of things coming to an end. This question is from Miguel Morales, who asks us, do you think there's any way to shorten the tennis season, not by just a week, but by more like a month plus? So that's the first question, Courtney. But then the obvious follow-up question is, does the tennis season need to be shorter? Now that we are into the clear pasture of off-season, where everyone is napping, and Jamie Hampton is watching YouTube clips of David Nalbandian, according to her Twitter, is this a good length? How do you feel? I think this is a good length. I mean, I think that, obviously, as the season progresses, and as we get closer to the end of the season, I think those of us who do follow the sport, I think, and obviously the top people who play the sport on a week-in and week-out basis are like, Oh man, like I wish I had three months off, right? I mean, the tennis off season is ridiculously short, especially if you're really a good tennis player because you play extra weeks at the the championships and things like that. But I also see the need to have all of these tournaments and to have this long season because if tennis players aren't playing, they don't get paid. Yeah. These are not salaried athletes like in football or baseball. Like obviously, like Jesus, if I played like baseball, I would want like the longest off season ever. And I would moan about having to play 162 games because whether I'm on my off season or I'm playing, I'm getting a paycheck every month. And, you know, with tennis players, like that's not the case. So the top players, like top 20, top 30, I can see them being like, dude, I would totally take a pay cut if I could like 
rest and chill out. I think that that's definitely kind of the message that we got at the championships, you know, like with Azarenka saying that it was tough to motivate and a lot of the other players also saying that they were struggling with their physical, you know, being physically ready to play such a tough tournament at the end of the season. But then you have those players outside of the top 50 who, you know, they are happy to keep playing until January. Yeah. And and so long as there are tournaments who are willing to give them money, let them have the money. I agree with that. I think this season could, de- the off season could definitely, on a small level it is, but I think October, November, December, if they want it to be, it could be filled with a lot of like 100Ks and WTA 125Ks they have now. And so players who are outside the top 50 who are up for competing for that level of points can keep their momentum going and get something started for next year and gain some points and gain some money. It doesn't have to shut down and grind to halt completely if people want to supplement their income. But at the same time, there is also 10 months of a year already where you get to play theoretically every week. Having the thing have a little bit of a rest, I think is probably good for everybody in the long run. Even if you are a number 80 player or whatever, you could still use the time to recuperate and recharge and retool train whatnot no yeah i mean i i think that the despite what i just said you know i think that the sport would be better if the season were shorter i think you would see you know just better quality play over the course of the season you'd see fewer injuries the players would be kind of like you know focused and whatever and really you know if if i kind of if i didn't have to worry about sustaining the sport and i could just like create this and manage the sport in a vacuum as I wanted to manage it, you know, I mean, the season would end at the U.S. Open, you know, maybe give give them a month off and then play like the championships in Asia. Let's do that. Like you want to have tennis in Asia? Let's have the championships in Beijing and Shanghai for both the ATP and WTA and call that a season. And then you'd give everybody, you know, basically, you know, October, November, December yeah. off. No, I mean, I totally think it would make for a better product. I think a lot of times the best matches of the year are in Australia just because everyone's fresh and ready to go. I think especially recently anyway on the men's side, you see just a lot of really, really good play in Australia. And for a long time, the women had their best uh, tennis there, too. I absolutely agree. And I've spent like the last like three weeks watching tons and tons of footage from the year. Just matches, just pulling, you know, because we do like best matches and best points and things like that. I need to pull the video. The quality in Australia is like a completely different level. Yeah. Like, it's not even close in terms of just how quick the footwork is, how explosive everyone is. It's fantastic. Compare that to, like, the same two players play at the U.S. Open. It looks completely different. Are you referring to, say, Djokovic and Vavrinka? Yeah, Djokovic Vavrinka is one. I mean, I even just going back and looking at, like, Federer, Murray, and some of the great rallies in that match, Federer and, and Murray, Djokovic, the finals, some of the great rallies in that one, and even just Djokovic and the way that he was playing, obviously, in January, as opposed to kind of how he had to, like, grind a little bit more once New York came around in the world tour finals as well you just see like a different it you just see that it's different it's not necessarily worse because arguably you're still getting you know dramatic matches and everything's relative but seriously pull up clips from australia compare them to the world the world tour finals and um the u.s open and you'll just see like two different levels of speed and precision yeah i think a lot of times i totally agree with i think a lot of times the players who are some of the best are at their best there. I mean, for a long way, for a long time, arguably even still, minus injuries, Serena's been at her best in Australia. You know, she comes there, she's fresh, she's ready to go. She rolls her ankle in a warm-up tournament, and things go a little dodgy, but um, she's played well there, and Agassi played well there for a long time. Djokovic has made it his home. It's a pretty neutral surface in terms of not really favoring one playing style over another too much. And yeah, so hopefully that's a good thing to start off the season right, and doesn't need to be longer no, I, I don't necessarily think it does. I think what we have now is a pretty happy medium. And I think the work opportunities 
rest balance is about as good as it's going to get with being right here right now. I do think for attention span purposes, though, ending at the U.S. Open would be great. I think so. I mean, it's that whole thing of like, how can we miss you if if you're not gone? Like, you know, like, how can I get excited about the tennis season, the next tennis season, if I never have time to miss tennis? That's especially true for Davis Cup. I mean... My God, like I, re- I was thinking about it recently. I think I've thought for a while the world group should be smaller just because there are a lot of teams in there that aren't world class teams. Like I think Israel is still in it right now or like Belgium or something just aren't relevant tennis countries on the real scale. Kazakhstan, whatever mm-hmm. else. And what I would like to see the first shrink be is just from 16 to 14 and give the two teams to make the previous year's final a bye because it's so stupid having them go from playing in November to coming right back in February. That's so short. I, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I mean, I'm I'm kind of oh, I'm kind of really in support nowadays of going back to it being a challenge cup. Oh yeah. So the winner of Davis Cup the previous year actually doesn't play until the Davis Cup final the following year, and everybody else has to basically battle their way for an opportunity to play them and play in the final. I'm down with that. I like that idea. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Just basically, cool. be fun. all roads lead to less Davis Cup. Is what we're saying. A way. little bit. Yeah. I mean, a little less Davis Cup never hurt nobody. Sorry. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> We've been collecting questions for a while now, hoarding them like squirrels and acorns to use them in the winter. And it is winter now, as far as we're concerned, in tennis. And uh, one of the questions we got in various wordings from a bunch of different people was about essentially a Yanko Tipsarovich question indirectly, asking us who we think in the ATP and WTA is more like most likely to pull a tip Sarovich this year, which means, unflatteringly, to fall way out of the top 10 and sort of have their rubble burst a little bit. And just to credit people who did ask that, that question was asked by such listeners as Shola Amusa and uh, David De La Fuente. Yeah. But I'm sure it was on everyone's mind. Everyone was thinking it. I think it might have gotten more than that that it just didn't write down. So that was the question, Courtney. Who will be the Tip Sarovich this year. And someone also compared it to Wozniacki, 2011 to 2012. Because that's true. I mean, she ended she ended 2011 at number one and hasn't made it back to the World Tour final or the year-end championship since. So pretty big fall there. She was an alternate. She was an alternate. You know, so there's that. I guess for me on the men's side, the name that sticks out is Lavrinka. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, yeah. No, I mean, I, I hope to gosh, I'm wrong. Um, and I would very much like to be wrong because I, I love watching Vavrinka's game and, and what he's able to do. And, and just also seeing a guy who's not necessarily in the early part of his career, like kind of believing in himself, yeah. you know, and believing he can win, which is great. And, and he just brings a very interesting matchup to so many matches to where those matches tend to be like just really riveting, great, well-played matches. So I hope I'm wrong. But I do think that his progress and, and his rankings rise. I think he finished, what, number seven? Eight, number eight. So he finished at number eight. So think of it that way, that everything that Vavrinka did this year, he finished at number eight, okay? And it was based off of a few really big results. So we're talking final in Madrid, yep. the Madrid final, US Open semi. Um, you know, I mean, those are two pretty significant results and, upon which to build all that. And London semi too, actually. And London semi, exactly. That's a big one as well. So those are results that are going to be tough to replicate. You know, can he can he kind of replicate exactly what he did this year? And remember, if Andy Murray wasn't injured... He would have been, then Wawrinka would have been the last man to qualify. 
So yeah. he barely got into the World Tour Finals in the first place. So if there's going to be a guy who's, I'm not going to, I don't think he's going to like fall precipitously like Tip Sarovich did, but I would be surprised to see him back in the World Tour Finals next year. Okay. I hope I'm wrong. I have two answers to this. I'm not sure on the men's side. We'll do women next. I'm not sure which one I like more, but I'm going to go with David Ferrer in terms of precipitous fall. And that could just be for him because he's up higher. He's at number three. So I'm saying he finishes in like... That's a good point. Let's say for this purpose, like the seven through 10 range or or further. I don't know. I just think that I think he's bound with the amount of tennis he plays and the style he plays to pick up some sort of niggling injury at some point. I'm not wishing that on him at all, but he plays such a full schedule. He played seven weeks in a row to finish out this year. And the type of tennis he plays, I think that it's coming for him. And his lack of wins over a lot of top players. I think he's gotten a lot of good draws at big events that have let him get through to a bunch of finals in like Miami and Paris and such. Although Paris, he did beat it all, so that's completely unfair to him. Without having too many marquee wins. And so that sort of draw luck will fade away, especially as Adele Pocho steps up. And my other answer this is Federer. Look, oh, looking, at, look, brutal. looking at who's in the top eight right now, Federer seems like the one who has the downward trajectory by far. And, you know, I think I asked before the World Tour Finals if this would be Roger's <laughs> last time in London. And I got a fair number of angry tweets about that. Even though it was just a question. I mean, I, it was just like a poll. Like, what do you think? And like, everyone's like, I think I hate you. How dare you, Ben? Have some respect. Have some respect. Res- He's earned it. Respect I'm is like, spelled with an RS. Shut up with those things. Like, it's not my job to respect the guy. No, it's not my job it's to really make not. you feel good it's, about who your favorite is. Yeah, it's not, it's not my job to do that. It's your job to, like, look at the facts and be like, hey, he used to be, like, a top five guy. And now he's, like, finished at the lowest rank in over 10 years. Yeah. And had his, the crappiest season in over 10 years. And all point, all nothing points to that necessarily being turning around, turning around, other than his greatness. Yeah, his, that amorphous thing, you know, like. Yeah. And so I think that he can nope. still have results if he gets on a really good streak. Like, but the just the reliability is not there at all, and you need to be reliable to be a top eight player. I think he can be someone who turns more into a dangerous floater. In like, I'll say even like beginning of twenty fifteen, like if he's still playing then. I think get people more upset in like the 13 through 16 range or something. And, you know, just being like one of those tough guys who's you never can count out, which I think he will be until the end. You won't be able to count him out, but it's going to on the slide and the numbers ranking purely wise. He, he might slip some looking a little bit further down the rankings as I scrolled a bit. I think one other person who may under similar circumstances backslide is Tommy Haas. Who's yeah, at I was number, gonna say Haas is a good Who's at number 12 right now. I would not be surprised to see him like out of the top 30 at the end of next year just because same thing. He's getting old. And it's amazing yeah. though thinking about this. Do you know that Tommy Haas has only finished one season in the top 10, I believe? Yeah. That's crazy. And he's been like 11 or 12 like five different times. So it's it's a weird Unrepresentative stat, but for a guy who I think of as being so consistent for so long, he hasn't actually been made it all the way to that imaginary cutoff. You have to, you have to do well at the big tournaments. Yeah, and he hasn't done that. And he doesn't do that as much, you know. Like he'll he'll win the the five hundreds and the two fifties, or or do well, make semis of those, but you know, Masters not so much, Slams not so much. No. So it's tough, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that. I, I mean, I think that Fetter is an interesting call. I think that, I mean, my kind of sense is just that on any given day, Roger can beat anybody, but he can't beat seven people in two weeks. Yeah, that's probably right. So that's that's basically kind of my analogy. He just does not have the consistency. And it was just very, very interesting in even, London. Even winning because, a Masters, I think, is a, beating six or five, I guess, with a bye, like top level yeah. people. 
just having him string together the matches is it seems a bit arduous for him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we did an interview with Rod Laver. I think I, I mentioned this on the podcast before, I think. But anyway, we did an interview with Rod Laver in Shanghai and asked him about kind of Federer and, and what he sees with respect to Roger's struggles this year. Uh-huh. And Laver said that once he kind of crossed that 30-year-old line that he was like, some days I was out there and I was playing like I was 21 again. Everything was perfect. It was magical. And it was so easy. And then the next day I took the court and nothing was there. Yeah. And that's what I see with Roger. And I, I think that when kind of Laver said that, I was like, you know, that's just that. I think that that's really the, the problem is that like there will be those days where Roger Federer looks like vintage Roger Federer. And then the next day he'll get completely schooled by a no name. Same thing happening to Venus. We see it all the time. I mean, Venus, yeah, that similar exactly. demographic. She can, she can be vintage one day and look great. And then have other days where she's just making these wild errors. And it's not even like fatigue. I think people think like, oh, they're going to get tired. They're going to come out there and be that way. But I think it's just inconsistency and just having days where you're off and you can't quite self-correct as easily. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't mean that they're shitty human beings. No. It's just, they're just, you know, 31 years old, 32 years old and playing a really physical grueling sport that demands your best on a daily basis. And sometimes you're human and you can't bring that. I don't think it's a crime to acknowledge that. No, I don't either. Let's turn to the women. Courtney, Mm -hmm. who do you think will be the female Tipsarovich come 2014, who is the top eight or ten player, let's say, who's going to slide significantly. <laughs> I am still just going to have to go with Kerber. Okay. I just That's easy. I that's like, that's low-hanging fruit on this I know. One. I know. But I just, again, I hope that I'm wrong because I like, I like Kerber a lot and I like her game and I like just her attitude on court. I think it's it's hilarious and super entertaining. But, like... The only reason she finished in the top 10 is because she had, like, a really strong push at the end of the season. Because, like, go out, coming out of the U.S. Open, she was outside of the top 10. Yeah. So, you know, it was due to that that really strong push. But I think that, you know, maybe if, if this season or this offseason she can get some rest and kind of, like, find her motivation and deal with the... Um, maybe she can play next year without the pressure, which she admits, like, really got to her. But she's still kind of my pick. I mean, I think that a lot of people are probably tempted to pick an Arani, but I think that Arani is just solid enough that she's just going to be there, like, in the top ten. Yeah, Arani feels like more of a cockroach to me. and in, in the, I mean that in the most flattering light, possibly. I mean, like, Arani is just never going anywhere, and she sort of will hang on. I mean, she did take some bad losses this year, Arani. She's WTA fur. She is that, and they are buddies, she and David. So I'm not going to pick Arani, even though I think she's the easy answer of the top eight. I'm gonna pick. I don't. I'm not. I think this is a more stable group than the ATP group right now. Weirdly, but not by much. But not by much. I mean, both of them yeah. are pretty, pretty strong. There's no real flukes up there. I don't think. I mean, Yankovic could slip from like eight to fourteen or something. But I'm going to pick Azarenka. Wow, ballsy. I just think. I think Azarenka is not going to defend her Australia title. I mean, just I'd be surprised if she did. Obviously, she could. But the way she finished this year. And the way Serena finished this year, and the way Lina finished this year, and the way Kvitova finished this year, it's a lot for Azarenka to defend that title again, which is just going to hurt her rankings-wise. What about Pova? Pova is a, it's a tough one because... Pova could tumble, but that's really injury-related. Pova could really tumble. Yeah, injury-related is a little bit different than the Tipsarovich yeah. form of it, where it's just sort of like bubble-bursting, really, more than anything. Yeah. <sighs> Not that Tipsarovich didn't have some injuries, because he did, but mostly right. it was overachieving that caught up to him a little bit i think so can i ask you a question mm-hmm. oh i don't know yeah. um yeah no a year from now mm-hmm. 
will Sloane Stevens be ranked higher or lower than where she is? <sighs> Sloane is so tricky. <laughs> it's so tricky. Sloane is, Sloan is one of the toughest to quantify players. And just Sloane's 2013 in general is one of the most like schizophrenic years. In, in all the brightest brights and the question markiest question marks. Of results, just purely results-wise, that you could have. She has Australia semis to defend. I think she's going to put a lot of pressure on herself there. To the extent where if she went out first or second round, it wouldn't stun me. And it wouldn't stun me if she managed to get back to like the quarters again. Yeah, and or even beat somebody big there again if need be. So just her upside is so big and her at her worst is really pretty bad. But she also manages to win a lot of matches when she's playing badly. Which I think it's a good trait that will serve her well in terms of ranking preservation. I don't know, she's got to balance out her, her scorecard on the rankings wise. She's got to start getting better points at the medium events. And which will help her not need to overachieve at the big ones all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a funny kind of uh, corollary, right? Because she'll say that, you know, isn't it a, a better problem to have that she plays great in the big tournaments and not the small ones? And it is. Which, which is true. But then that also means that then you have the most pressure to do well when the spotlight is on, which... I'm I'm not sure. I don't know if she like. I haven't really made a determination one way or the other as to whether or not I think that Sloane's a good pressure player or not. I think she totally is. I think 100. Yeah, percent I'm not of what, sure. Like, look at her like the U.S. Open this year. I'm not talking about. Yeah, that's true. The U.S. Open was solid. Serena even, but like. No, no, no. Yeah. Hampton and Ula Radvanska matches were huge. So yeah, I think she is a good pressure player. I do think it's interesting to see will she be higher? Maybe, but it depends a lot on what happens around her. No, I think she really she controls her own destiny in a lot of ways. There's nobody in the top 10 who she categorically cannot beat, I don't think. And, Agree with that. Um, that's a nice thing to have. Halep is at 11, also an interesting possible riser. Mm. Halep, I could easily see making it to Singapore with her six titles in 2012. 20, sorry, 2013. But she'll also, so you think but she's going to be able to match that? Not match that, obviously, but like... Do the opposite. I mean, I mean if you combined Sloan and Halep's results this year... They like did well at none of the same one. tournaments, so <laughs> uh, yeah, they pretty much be number one. Uh, actually, if you added number two, they'd be number three if you added their rankings together. Yeah, um, which is about right. Yeah, so I think Halep needs to have a big slam result. I think a lot of people are already making her a dark horse for the French Open, which is a little forward of them, but I think fair too. I think a lot of people could win the French. I think for the women, the French is the slam to watch next year. And, it is kind of funny how it's like not the slam to watch for the guys, but no. for the girls it is. Well, for the guys, if Djokovic comes in with a head of Well, game, yes. It comes yeah, it, it depends on Djokovic, but I think I think Wimbledon is a slam to watch for the guys next year. That's a good call. We're getting ahead of ourselves, that's the idea. And who knows with Petra? God only knows. <laughs> I have confidence in Petra. Granted, I always have. Uh, I am a bit of a a blind faith believer in the Kvitova, yeah, in the Petra. But I like how she finished the season. She's been doing a lot of postseason media. She has, she has, and I like the work that she's been putting in with with her new physio. I think that she looked, I mean, remarkably fitter in Istanbul than she had, you know, even like a month or two before that, which was pretty great. And then on top of that, just just hearing her say that she's trying to get to the bottom of her illness issues, her, her constant tendency to be struck down by some virus at the most inopportune times um, yeah. that she's talking with doctors and stuff. I think that that's really positive as well. But I just, you can't be that, you can't be a player as good as Kavitova and like tumble. I just don't see it. I would agree. And hope. <laughs> 
So we got a question from Evan Moore, who asked us about Agnieszka Radwanska. And I'm going to read you most of his question verbatim, because... Because it's so beautifully just put. It's just, it's great. There's a lot of words in here that I don't use in daily conversation. I'll put it that way. If it hasn't been chewed over like cud, I'd love to listen to you and Courtney talk about Radvanska's chances of winning a Grand Slam and the tragedy and desperation that her elegance seems to be a mask for. I love when Virginia Wade says things on for Eurosport, like, I think Radvanska has a very strong ego. These other manufactured brainless ball bashers are all id. Those who aren't in the top 20, that is. To me, Wade is both delightfully retrograde in these remarks, but also on the money in an oblique way about how limited the internet commentariat and journalists tend to be when they discuss women's sports. We are comfortable seeing women in more masculine paradigms, that the idea that grace, elegance, and a different kind of performance of aggression, parentheses, maybe a bitchiness or restrained auteur that Radvanska seems to wear on court with her copious eye makeup, might be worth remarking on. Best wishes, Evan Moore. Footer, sent from my iPhone. He was typing those things into his iPhone. I'm impressed. I'm super impressed. I wonder if he writes this a lot and like his autocorrect is like, oh yeah, commentary at. That's the word you're (laughs) typing there. Or if he had to correct it. I don't know. I'm impressed. It's a deep question Mm -hmm. and one that's going to take a little bit of time to deconstruct. Yeah. But also wonderfully worded. So thank you very much, Evan. Get out your, your fine chisel, Courtney, and start deconstructing this thing. The first thing that I'm trying to figure out is whether or not Evan's question is saying that we want to see women or like whatever the commentariat whether in real life or internet uh-huh. that we want to see women and prefer to see women who play sports in a more masculine paradigm and therefore dismiss players who maybe don't fit in that paradigm like like a Redvanska which is i think what he's saying we do or is he saying that like no, but I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, right? I'm not entirely sure I agree with that presumption, though. I feel no, like, I don't either. I feel like people were plenty, compare it to like a Everett Navratilova thing. I think people were more right. comfortable with Chris Everett than with Navratilova. This, that's what I mean. But I think that at the same time. But I also don't know if Chris Everett had what anyone would call a restrained auteur with her copious eye makeup. This is also very true. So. And her weird blown out short hair. Yeah, I mean, I think that with Redvanska, here's my whole take on Redvanska and why she is dismissed and maybe not taken. I think she's taken more seriously now than she was a year ago and a year before that and things like that. But I don't think that it has anything to do with any sort of like masculine, feminine dismissal or, you know, sexism or gender roles any of those issues. I think it has to do with the fact that when you watch tennis, it's much easier to understand what someone is doing when they're trying to just hit the shit out of the ball where the other player isn't. Yeah. Then when you then a player who uses spins and mixes up the height of the ball and, you know, isn't trying to hit the crap out of the ball, but is trying to place it on a dime in order to set up her shot in four shots. In other words, chess. It's more subtle. Yeah. It's much more subtle. It's a heck of a lot easier for example, to watch American football, and I hate the fact that I have to say American football because I'm worried that if I say football, people think I'm talking about soccer, which, FYI, on this podcast is never the case. No. It's easier to watch football and just watch people cr- crush helmets and all that sort of stuff than it is to stand and watch a six-hour chess match and know what's going on, unless you know chess. So I think on the whole, it's just easier for people to kind of see Serena or Maria or Vika or Lina you know, Petra, you know, any of those sorts of players just kind of hit big. Even like a Wozniacki who has clear weapon and speed or something. Right, exactly. And just look at this kind of slight five foot seven 
Polish girl and not think that she's actually good at tennis. Yeah, I think that's right. right. But I also think there's part of it that is results-based. I do think people will take her more seriously. You can't keep getting shellacked by Serena. You can't go out there and do what you did in, like, Miami and win two games against Serena. And, and I realize that that's happened to almost everyone in the women's game at some point or another. But for her to be a top player and to really seem like she has no answers against the player to beat is problematic for how she is viewed by the commentariat. <laughs> the commentariat. Quite true. And then just to follow up on my point, like the flip side of it, of what kind of Evan's point, and I apologize, Evan, if I'm not getting the point, if I'm getting the point wrong, but I think that I got it right. But the flip side is I think that people are less willing to give players like a Serena credit for anything other than power. Yeah. So in other words, like because it's so much easier to just see her with her build and the way that she serves and the way that she crushes the ball and returns, you just think that Serena is just a power player. But if you were to pay it, actually pay attention over the course of especially this year, she's really not it's, as much anymore. It's such a simple headline to be like, Serena overpowers Sharapova for French Open. Like, no, power was not really the difference there. There's so much more to Serena's game than just yeah. power. There's so much thought that goes into it and so much precision and point construction, even if it is short points, it's still point construction. How about this other part of this question about the tragedy and desperation that her elegance seems to be a mask for? Do you think that there is anything tragic or desperate about Radvanska? And is she masking um, I things? Think... I do. The mask part is interesting because she definitely never shows anything. She never shows anything, but at the same time, like at least not on the court. But you know, I've definitely been in press conferences with her. You and I were there in her post uh, Wimbledon. Uh, loss press conference after she lost to Lissicky this year in the semis. And it was very clear that there was no mask. She had been crying in the locker room that this loss absolutely crushed her because she knew what an opportunity it was. And obviously it was like so close in the end. What was it like? 10, 10, 8? 1210, whatever seven, it was, yeah. 97, yeah, in the third, that it was a huge opportunity loss. I think that in that way, I think that I can see some kind of tragedy and desperation. Radvanska is not is a realist. She's she's not delusional in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I think that for her to play the game the way that she plays it, you have to be realistic because you have to actually sit there and understand there are certain shots you can't hit. Aside from one time in your entire career, you're never going to hit a forehand over 95 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, you're never going to be able to overpower a lot of these players. And I think that obviously, you know, and I think that she, obviously she knows that. I think that sometimes that admission takes the edge off her. I think that that definitely plays on her mind when she takes the court against Serena. That, oh crap, here comes Serena. She's zoning. I'm screwed. I can't win this, you know, and can't actually try and out to, to think her way through the situation but because she is a realist she knows when an opportunity is a big opportunity she knows when it's been lost and she knew that this was an opportunity for her to win her a grand slam without having to face any of the players who own her and poof she lost it and she will continue to acknowledge that that was like the worst loss of her year and possibly of her career and she kind of spent the rest of the season still dwelling on it and things like that so so I kind of, I, I think that there is something to that, that we think that she's like this cold assassin, right? The Polish ninja who just goes out there with a straight face and just like chops people up. And then when she loses, like she doesn't care. But that's not Aga at all. That's not a professional athlete at all, ever. I'll be very interested to see how she reacts if and when she wins a Grand Slam. And I still think she can. I mean, she's young, still pretty young. She's 24, I believe. She's 24. She's got a lot of years left in her. And... While an opportunity as good as this year's Wimbledon draw might not happen, 
there will be times where she can get a draw that lets her avoid Serena and Azarenka, let's say. And and she can get there. I mean, she really just needs to have that last push of belief to get a few more of those big late-round wins that she hasn't yet. And she has the game. I think she can play Serena much tougher than she has. Serena had plenty of problems against players who don't, who aren't all power. Like Yankovic has played Serena really tough. Hingis back in the day played Serena really tough. It can be done. And I think if, if she's masking at all how much she wants it, I think I can see through. I will say it is sort of frustrating watching her on TV, especially sometimes, where she'll be in this big battle and her face shows nothing. It can be hard to engage a little bit with her mm-hmm. and get, yeah, and get emotionally invested in her. And in that sense, I think it is the elegance of the mask. So I see where you're coming from there, Evan. And thank you for your question. We got another question from our listener, Garth Poorman, who asks us, thankfully, but to summarize it, it's basically, he says, I'd be curious to hear what each of you would guess as the result of a best of three set match between current day Serena Williams, age 32, and current day John McEnroe, age 54. Obviously, new reporting about Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King match that happened recently made this a little bit more of an issue. Serena's been talking about possibly playing um, an exhibition next year against Andy Murray. It's been in the cards. She hasn't been talking about it. Don't sell it like that. Sorry, no, no. There is is talk about that happening, like actually happening next year in Vegas, which I hope it doesn't happen. But It's it's baloney. It's it's baloney. British reporters have said it several times, so make of that what you want. Yeah, so Courtney, what do you think would be the result of a match between Serena and Macron today? And would you watch if you had to pay something to watch it? I would totally pay to watch it. I think it'd be really interesting. Am I totally naive to think that Serena would absolutely mop the floor with him? I don't think so, because I think Serena, I think it's different. Because she could break him. Yeah, she could definitely break him. Right, okay. So So then the other question then becomes, could he break her? Some, yeah, he could break her. Some. For someone who's a great server, she drops serve not. There are matches she has where she drops serve a lot. Yeah. So it could happen. But I think just basically on the pure physicality level. I mean, I've seen McEnroe play recently a fair amount, actually. He actually just played an XO, which is clearly an XO, because of the scoreline against Kane Shikori a couple of days ago. And he won yeah, the first set 6-1. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. yeah, no, Serena. I mean, it'd be a lot of pressure on both of them obviously, which is why Serena won't do it. There's absolutely nothing, as Garth points out in his email later on, there's nothing for her to gain whatsoever from this match and everything to lose. Well, Billie Jean King said that about, because Bobby Riggs, one of the theories surrounding the Riggs-King match was that Riggs basically kind of tanked the first match in order to, not because he was trying to be like altruistic or because of betters or whatever, although that is also a theory, but one of the theories is that he tanked the first match in order to set up a second match which, because he had lost the first match, would be even bigger. There would be more betting on the second match. Yeah. And I think Billie Jean King has said, she was like, Bobby was like, yeah, 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 like, rematch, rematch. And she's like, no. <laughs> like, why would I? Yeah. <laughs> like, I beat you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's kind of, the, that's pretty much the situation for any woman who is challenged to play a guy these days. It's like, don't actually need to. Billy did it. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, just to be clear, I mean, Serena would not beat a current top men's player or even come close. What she has, I mean, her practice partner, Sasha, routinely can beat her if he wants to. That's why he's her practice partner, because he's better than her. And he is not someone who had anything near, really, a super viable ATP career. So Sasha can beat her still. Serena, but Serena, what Serena has over a lot of the guys who are, 
which makes the question, oh, could she beat the number 1,000 guys? She has a lot more, like, big match experience and big point experience and intangibles and whatnot. But on pure speed, speed is one of the main issues where women really fall behind the men, top spin, stuff like that. McEnroe is a weird matchup for anybody, especially the way he plays now, 54-year-old McEnroe, where he's compensating mm-hmm. for a lot of his lack of speed and his lack of endurance and stuff. He would do a lot of weird chipping and charging and stuff. It wouldn't be a comfortable match for Serena, but I would think if she could keep points short, she could she would well. She would just need a month and a half of practice with Sasha of just target practice. Yeah. Passing shots. Yeah. You know, and make sure her serve is clicking that day. But, you know, and McEnroe would kind of have a lefty kind of uh, spin and advantage on that end, which would help him. But yeah, I mean, I think that James Blake gave an interview on Huffington Post about a bunch of things. Actually, it's a really good interview if people want to look it up. He talks about like homophobia in sports and in the locker room and tennis and all this sorts of stuff. But one of the things that he gets asked is about the whole like, could a female player beat like a male player these days? Like, could Serena beat anybody? And he gave a really diplomatic answer, but it was an answer that that rang very, very true, which is, and he said that standing baseline to baseline and just hitting, like, some of the girls could probably hang with, like, you know, a top 1,000 guy, top 100, you know, top 500 guy or whatever. Yeah. But once you start to have to move, that's where the gap widens yeah. to an insurmountable gap. Yeah. You know, so that's really, you know, the movement, the the, the agility, and the strength to be able to dig out of corners. Hitting all, all the these runs sorts of things. things. Yeah. Right. So you can sit there and you can watch Serena hit the absolute snot out of the ball and be like, she hits like a guy. Or like the serve, like she serves faster than a lot than David, David Ferrer. But when they have to start moving, start moving from side to side, front to back, all that, that's when everything kind of falls off. You know, all the wheels fall off for, for the women. Yeah. So you have to kind of take that into consideration in handicapping a match against current Dan McEnroe. Yeah. I think. So I would so get back. So would we do you think she would win? Yes. I think she, so. I think she could. I think things could go horribly wrong for her, and she could lose. It's not a gimme match, I don't think. Just because of McEnroe in particular, what a weird kind of game he personally plays i think just having seen him play like world team tennis and stuff he has this weird bendy serve and a lot of volleying a lot of coming forward it'd be a weird look for serena but if it was like a best of i would almost like her chances more in a best of five honestly if she had more time to figure him out the best of three should be enough for her to win i would say i'd watch it I would, that's for I sure i would totally watch it and like he says i would watch it especially if there was like bad line calling i would watch that happen. Exactly. see both of them get angry <laughs> at each other put uh Aza Azdorak, Ava Azdoraki in the chair obviously but yeah I mean I'm, I'm definitely curious to hear what other people yeah have to say about this and don't post responses like you're stupid like no way a girl could be a guy we're talking about current day Serena versus current day McEnroe like show your work explain your answer <laughs> like show us your logic but the other thing I would point out in terms of comparing it to King Riggs is that the game is a lot different than it, it than it was in 1973. It's so much more physical, and Serena, in terms of the kind of ball she would hit, and being able to just pow, blast it past McEnroe um, and hit into corners if need be, one-two punch sort of things, were not the sort of things that were going on in 1973. I think that the physicality of it would make it a tougher hurdle for the less currently in-shape McEnroe. But, right. So I would, I would love to see it, but... But that said, McEnroe does play on, like, the champion circuit. He plays world team tennis. So it's not like he's, like, been cryogenically frozen. No. And, you know, uh, and unfrozen to play this match. Like, he knows how the game is currently played, and he's felt that ball off his racket and stuff like that. Yeah. So He's gone out and done ridiculous things, like play Kenny Shikori. There you go. So, yeah. So now it's time for our ever-popular take-number segment, where we take a number between 1 and 100. 
and talk about corresponds to that number in each of the ATP and WTA rankings. Last time we did this, we got number one, which was crazy exciting. I don't think that'll happen again, but it might. We'll see. Ready to go, Courtney? Always. Our number spit out this time from random.org is do to do 93 back to the good old days <laughs> obscurity it's like crawling back into your sleeping bag full of worms okay uh, and we are not in kansas anymore in terms of number one in terms of the player i got courtney you ready yep who is the lady courtney who corresponds to number 93 well this has been one of the key storylines of the 2013 season has been about all these players getting popped for anti-doping violations. Uh-huh. And this is one of them. So, uh, a player from the Czech Republic. Yay. <laughs> Very long name. Got popped for an anti-doping violation because she tested positive for a banned stimulant that was in a weird weight loss supplement that has a really weird website. But anyways, her name is Barbara Zalovostritseva. There is so much more to her than the doping ban that I'm excited to talk about. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked for her being there. <laughs> I know. And I know that you are such the, the streets of a, like, encyclopedia. So I'm, I'm going to sit back and let you take over. That is a good rhyme to a streets of a encyclopedia. The guy at number 93 is nowhere yeah. near as exciting, sorry, um, Ukrainian fans of their upcoming, I was going to say, like, rising star. But he's not as young as I thought he was, knowing a little mm-hmm. bit about him. I do know that I got him right, though. In the spelling bee they hold every year at the Washington tournament during rain delays. This is Mr. <laughs> Oleksandr Nedovyesov. Oh my god, I've never heard of this player in the world. <laughs> I have no idea who this is. Oleksandr, O-L-E-K-S-A-N-D-R, Nedovyesov, N-E-D-O-V-Y-E-S-O-V. So you've never heard of this person? No. I wouldn't think you would have. He's at his 93. We'll start with him because he's going to be quick. 93 is his current career high. He went to Oklahoma State University, according to his bio. His favorite shot is to serve. (laughs) (laughs) Is he actually Ukrainian? Or is he like one of those Russians who became Ukrainian? Like, what's the deal? I think he's actually Ukrainian. Yeah. Oleksandr is like... Makes me yeah, that's because you... that's like the, the name that Dolgopolov used to have before he got arrested. Yeah, yeah, okay. He has won zero tour level matches this year, but he won the Challenger Tour finals that just wrapped up, I believe. Yeah, he won those. He did? It says he did. Did he really? It says Hold he on. did on here. I was, like, tracking the Challenger Tour Finals. No, Valandry won. Okay, go to his activity page. Go to Ned of Yesoff's activity page and see that it's weird because they have him losing his quarterfinal. No, sorry. They have him winning his quarterfinal, losing his semifinal, and then winning the final. What is that? Whoa, ATP. Go home, ATP. You're drunk. ATP got a little too excited. But it does say that he won. Yeah. (laughs) It does say that he beat Adrian Unger. In the final. So, technical difficulties on that one, but... What you basically need to know is that he qualified for these. He did not win a single main tour-level match this year. Um, so he's been under the radar, ready to strike in 2013. He made it into main draw direct for Australia. It's so good for him. It's a nice little payday for someone born in Alushta, Ukraine. And I don't know much about him. And he has big, bushy eyebrows in his picture. He plays mostly in Eastern Europe uh, and just Europe in general. I got not much. Ready to talk about Barbara? I am. So, okay. So basically, here's what Alexander Nedovyesov did at the Challenger World Tour Tour Finals because I was confused. Yeah. He did, in fact, beat Adrian Unger in the green group 
and qualified for the semifinals. But what the ATP website does not tell you is that he lost in the semifinals to Alejandro Gonzalez. 6 not listed. 6 0. Okay. Interesting scoreline. Yes. So there you go. The truth is now clear about Mr. Nedevyasov. We can all. You're welcome. I can sleep at night now. X file closed. Boom. Thank you, uh, Scully. <laughs> oh, Mulder. Oh, Mulder. We're so we're such a you're the Scully to my Mulder. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's weird. Very strange. <laughs> Especially the way you said it. It sounded like so old, like old timey. <laughs> like I was saying, it, yeah. Uh, like you were like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> right. That'd be, be a fun... Well, you're the scully to my molder. Let's talk about Barbara's album with Shirt Let's go. Go for it, Ben. Monologue. So there was a match in qualifying of Cincinnati. I think it was 2012. No, 2011. It was 2011 because I was watching it and it was between... It immediately popped out of my name. Popped out of me on the order of play because it was Zalabova Shirt versus Anastasia Rodionova. And if anybody knows those two ladies, they know that they are fairly fond of the art of the tantrum and throwing it as they lose. And so I went out there and Zalabova Shutzva was losing and put on quite a show, including after she lost, sitting in her chair catatonically for a solid like 13 minutes, just like staring straight ahead into nothing and just being generally angry. And it's fine being sad that you lost. The other thing about that match I remember, which is how I kind of dated it is that it was where I first realized that Meltzer and Benisova were an item because they were in the stands there. So there you go. Love happens around Barbara, just not for Barbara. <laughs> I, I think she is married, so that's that's mean. She is but yes, she's an aphrodisiac to the world, I guess, with her temper tantrums. My other story about her, and she's just known as being really pouty and always looking miserable and never being in a good mood. But she's also a pretty good player. She was a really good junior, I believe, Back in her day, she was just named Stritzova. It's kind of weird that her married name went before her other name. That's not how we would do it on this side of the ocean. The other thing about Stritzova with my story was there was this woman watching one of her matches in Indian Wells. And she beat somebody who was like a fan favorite. I'm trying to think who it was. It was like the last match at Indian Wells 2012. I'll actually look it up. Oh, she wasn't actually a fan favorite. Sorry. She beat Ayumi Morita. And she just had a lot of <laughs> Adidas supporters in the crowd, which is why I thought that she was a fan favorite. Um, she beat Ivy Marita. And afterwards, this woman was in the front row, this American woman, like, screaming, like, Barbara, I love you. I watch you on TV all the time. You're my favorite. You're the best. I love you. And Barbara's like, thank you. Thank you so much. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> First of all, is it possible to watch Barbara's all of shit on TV all the time? Is that something you can actually do with an American TV? I'm not sure it is. And if you could, would she be your favorite? It's possible. It's very possible it could be. But the entire scene was surreal and suspect. And I didn't know if this woman just really wanted a sweatband and was overacting. But it seemed very genuine, and Barbara seemed really touched by it. So um, that's my that's, that's my Barbara story. It, yeah, she she was really excited to have a super fan out in California. Courtney, do you have, do you have any Barbara? Are you okay over there? I'm good. Okay. I mean, my my. I'm gonna let this play out. I'm good. I'm good. Welcome back. Oh my! Uh, my I can't even say her name. Barbara. My Barbara. Barbara. 
Zelova Streets of the Stories are basically just yeah. no, just me like retelling what just happened. <laughs> In the future. So yeah, exactly. So I'm good. Okay. Well that's good. No, but she is someone who is known for being very bratty and tantrumy and sort of always miserable. And I understand why that and for all I've never spoken to her off court, I don't think. Um, but she might be perfectly friendly. She's a pretty good doubles player, whatever that means. Oh, I do have a story. Okay, go ahead. Okay. It was Indian Wells. Okay. 2000 and I want to say eight. Okay. Maybe 2009, one of the two. And uh, at Indian Wells, there's the famous field where everybody kind of hangs out. And and I was standing kind of next to it and just kind of watching the players. And Streetsiva was like sitting on the ground talking to some checks and she had her bag like about like two, oh, I remember this. Two or three meters away from her, and the security cart like runs it over, and it like, and the security guard like like backs up over it, and then backs back out. She's like, "Holy crap! What did you just do?" Yanko Tipsarevich is like looking at it too. He's like, "Dude, what did you just do?" And the security guard like drives away, like it was a hit and run. You have video of this. I've seen video of the aftermath yeah. of this. Oh yeah, no, I have the video. Um, and all her rackets and, are like broken, right? Yeah, exactly. They open it up and the rackets are completely screwed. And she's like totally pissed. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Not This was not an unjustified pissed offedness of which uh, you may have implied happens more often than not with her. I, so, yeah. But that was like, now that you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, that was the player who was there. I wonder, do you think like Indian Wells sent this super fan to her to like make reparations for their previous misdeeds against her? Dude. I wouldn't put it past them. No, they kind of they kind of like to dot the I's and cross the T's that way. They do. They go all out. They think of it all. Every angle. Maybe. Possibly. We'll leave someone on the case for that. That was number exactly. 93 on Take a Number. Hopefully Courtney is recovered from it. It was a lot to handle <laughs> with Alexander Netovyesov and fan favorite Barbara Zalhova-Stritseva. I feel like going from like number one to number 93 in the span of like two Take a Numbers like, basically gave me the take a number bends. Yeah. Like, I kind of, like, it was so shocking that I physically couldn't deal with it. It's like an ice bath. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is the off-season, so we started our little giveaway thing. Mostly just extravaganza. I just have a lot of swag from a bunch of the tournaments, especially the recent ones that that we've been at, and I need to clean out my office. I'm giving away a bunch of stuff. So, Like what, Courtney? Like what? Like what? Well, some of the stuff that I, I got, I got um, an ATP tote bag that's actually pretty cute Ooh. that I actually might keep for myself, but I'm debating. <laughs> if you guys are if you guys are nice and, and like prove it, maybe I'll give it away. It's really cool, actually. You're the first <laughs> thing you name. It's like, you know what? You guys aren't getting that. That's tremendous. <laughs> We're off to a great start here in our giveaways. Hey, you know what? I, hey, have I ever been anything but honest on this podcast? And I think that the people who are listening like appreciate that. I ain't going to give you shit that I want. Okay, it's what? Just how I do. What don't you want that you're going to give them, Courtney? Stuff that I don't want. I have uh, official ATP tennis balls from the World Tour Finals. I have um, a bunch of programs from Shanghai, from the World Tour Finals, from Istanbul. Rome? 
Uh, from Rome. Oh my gosh, I have so many from Rome, which have the cool thing about the Rome programs this year is that they have this really cool black and white picture of Rafa and Maria, who are the defending champions. So it's actually kind of cool. Um, I actually like it quite a bit. And one cool thing about the Shanghai programs is that the content actually has four, I think, four or five uh, articles that were written for it, that were commissioned for it, basically um, talking about each of the players through their coach's eyes. Huh. So, and they're quite, I mean, it was kind of a cool little angle. And um, interestingly, because Roger Federer was still with Paul Anacone, uh, as far as we knew, at Shanghai. There's one, like, with a small interview with Paul Anacone. So, it's, I don't know, I, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Does sound cool. Yeah. So, anyway, so for this first giveaway uh, on the on the table that I'm willing to send out are ATP World Tour Vibration Dampeners Ooh. made by Technofiber, which are kind of cool. Those would be great for anybody who plays tennis. Exactly, which I presume so many of you guys do. Yeah. So, and to enter the contest, it's really simple. All you have to do is either go to our Twitter, which is at NCR underscore tennis, or go to our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash NCR podcast, and let us know what your favorite NCR podcast moment has been this year, because we're kind of curious and also a little bit of a couple of egomaniacs. So we like to hear about the good things that we've done. And it's nice to, and it's been surprising so far because we've had some entries come in already. But people actually remember things they heard like from a while ago. It's like, oh, I remember that. It's a nice trip to memory lane for me because I, I, I tend to say things and then forget them, which is dangerous. It is. It is dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I tend to run my mouth and not really think twice about what I'm saying. So, when, yeah, some of the, the, uh, the responses have been pretty great um, just to like remind us of some of the, the fun moments. And it's also just really good for us as we plan for next season to know what you guys like, aka more Petkovic is what we're hearing, um, and what you don't like. So any feedback is great. And in return, we will give away a pair of, yeah, of vibration dampeners. Basically, we'll take, if you respond, we'll pick a name at random, and that person will be the winner. There you go. So, And if you don't have Facebook, you can also, like, tweet us that one. Heck, heck, you can email email. us as well. Our email address is nochallengesremaining, all one word, at gmail.com. So lots of ways to get there. Basically, we just want to know. Just find a way to contact us, and your name will go into a hat, and that's how we'll determine the winner. So while you guys are remembering things, we thought we'd remember things, too. So we're going to try a new segment of wrap-up nostalgia called Hey, Remember When? Where we discuss things that happened in 2013 that we remember. Courtney, this was your idea. You want to lead off with something you remember from 2013? I would love to. I think that would be good. Um, Hey, Ben. Yeah? Remember when Bernard Tomic like, totally destroyed, like, the Australian swing and we thought that, hey, he may have turned a corner? Remember Bernard Tomic in general? Remember everything he did? Remember when he got arrested for wrestling naked on a rooftop? This happened this year, if you'll remember that. It did. Remember when he got caught, like, driving, like, that speedy yellow car with the license plate that said Sin City? Because <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. Well, remember when Bernard Tomic beat Novak Djokovic at Hotman Cup and we thought it was, like, a thing? Well, that's a good one. He had a really good Australia. He's got some points and, I guess Hotman isn't points, but he's got some uh, hype to defend. He did. He that had one. tons of hype to defend. Yeah. Speaking of Australia, a little bit more of a downer. Remember when Brian Baker got injured for no reason oh, in the second round? Oh, why like I, I finally stopped thinking about it and crying myself to sleep over it because it sucked. It was super emo, and it kind of derailed the whole year in American tennis in its own way. I mean... Because he was winning that match. 
He was. And remember when that happened? Like, you could basically feel all the air. Like, everybody's like, oh, God, not again. Like, everybody felt so bad for him. But everybody also knew that this was, a like, that it was bad. Like, the injury was bad. Yeah. It was such a bummer. It was a really big bummer. Remember when, speaking of a happy, I'm trying to think of an upper from Australia. Remember when um, I left really early to go see Spongebob perform live on the last day? Because I was totally worth it they have they really like spongebob in australia i'm not entirely sure why i wait what am i saying of course i know because spongebob is awesome but it was weird because he would see these mascots sort of like lip syncing but without moving their lips to like pre-recorded audio of the real spongebob voice and they were like kind of like acting out a play that they weren't speaking hey hey remember that time where i confused you for vicky duvall oh wait no that's happening right now Oh, yeah. Me and, me and Vicky share a common love of Spongebob. I'm sorry I'm so in touch with the future of tennis. Hey, remember when Vicky Duvall totally sassed you at yes, Charleston? I do remember that. Remember when <laughs> Vicky Duvall beat Sam Stoser? Oh, my word. That was... Like, God, I mean, is that not the upset of the year? That's the upset of the that year. That was shocking. That was shocking. As much as we say, oh, Vicky Duvall, she's a big deal. She was not the big deal before she beat Sam Stoser, like, at all. Exactly. No one gave her a chance in that match. Remember when, remember when Sam won two titles this year? Weirdly, I do remember that because it happened so recently. But speaking of Miss Stozer, remember when she played Zheng Zhei in the Australian Open and then <laughs> on set point the first on set point in the first set, uh, she duffed an overhead like ten feet long, and then on match point down to Zheng Zhei, uh, she double faulted. <laughs> remember when she hit another double fault in that match that went past the baseline, and she just like. <laughs> Wiped off her, just took off her sunglasses and like wiped her face with the towel. Like that would cleanse her of that shot. It couldn't possibly. I remember when <laughs> Sam Sosa lost in Australia again. What's going to happen? A little bit more looking in the future of this. What is going to happen to her in Australia again? Is it bound to be this way forever, Courtney? Or can we ever get her to be like, you know what? No one actually expects anything of me. I am comically bad on this continent. <laughs> Let's just realize possibly, we should. You know what? This coming se- this coming season, quite possibly. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, up until the point when she started to get hype, she didn't play horribly in Australia. It's just that, like, now since she became the Sam Stozer that we know, now she sucks in Australia. Yeah. But like, she made like the what was it? The third or fourth round losing to Dementieva. Played a great match against Dementieva, like in two thousand seven or something. Two thousand six. I don't know. I can't remember. Hey, but remember when? I believe Varvara Lepchenko started the year as the number two American. Whoa. That's weird. Right. Yeah. I'm just gonna leave. Hey, remember when Ryan Harrison beat John Isner in Sydney and we thought that it was a big deal? Did we though? We knew we, were, we knew Isner was hurt. We did. But it felt like, okay, this this win, regardless of the circumstances surrounding it, has to give Ryan Harrison confidence. Yeah, confidence isn't getting him very far, though. He has a lot of confidence. Hey, remember when Grigor Dimitrov made the Brisbane final, and we were like, <gasps> he's arrived, we can be ready, well, and they didn't so really weird. do that much for the rest of the year? What are you talking about? He did some medium-sized stuff, but he didn't make huge strides, really. He won his first ATP final, so he, or he ATP went from like, title? Didn't he go from like 41 to 21 in the year? 22. 22. Is that that big a deal? Mm. It is for him. I guess. For so. having no major results ever. He at least, like... You know, had Djokovic on the ropes in that first set in Indian Wells before he served like eight straight double faults in a game. And then he had Andy Murray on the ropes in Miami a week later yeah. or two weeks later. Those were very similar chokes. Those were impressive. They were chokes. similar chokes. But then he beat Djokovic in Madrid with that crowd and played a pretty good match against Rafael Nadal. 
uh, in the next, not the next round. No, no, in Monte Carlo. Sorry, he played a really good match against Monte, uh, against Rafa in Monte Carlo. He had some good runs. I I disagree with your assessment of Mr. Dimitrov's here. Hey, remember when the internet was abuzz with debate over whether he or Redfu was the guy with the black heart? Oh my gosh, was there that much debate? Well, it was that, that quote debate. was so sloppy though because that quote had to be about two different people. Yes, quite. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure that was quoted correctly. Hey, Ben. Yes. Remember when you and I were in the press room at Wimbledon and then Maria decided to, like, take out her sniper rifle and, like, shoot just a legendary shade-soaked barb in Serena's direction? I feel like I'm still—I feel like I will never wash that gunpowder off of me in that situation. I can still—it still burns my nostrils. It was amazing. I have PTSD. That whole—I feel like really good PTSD, though. Like, positive PTSD. Is that a thing? Positive trauma. Post-traumatic stress enjoyment, maybe. Maybe? But it was it was remarkable. It was one of the most memorable press conference moments ever, and it was so subtle. That whole week at Wimbledon was so bizarre. Remember recording when everyone lost on the same day at Wimbledon? I do remember that. Talk about PTSD. I know. Federer. That was a funny. But that was a hilarious day. Azarenka. It was it was surreal. It really was. Hey, remember when Victoria Azarenka withdrew from the tournament and they stuck her in interview room, like, whatever, two, and, like, no, didn't tell anybody that the number two player in the world was withdrawing from Wimbledon due to injury? Hey, that was fun. remember when Marion Bartoli won Wimbledon? Like, the Wimbledon? Marion Bartoli. The Marion Bartoli at the Wimbledon. At Wimbledon. Like, seeing her name on the wall next year will be, will be interesting. The funny thing is, is that I remember when Marion Bartoli won, I believe, what was it, her semifinal match and collapsed to the ground in that (laughs) interesting yoga position, which is basically the photo of the year. And I was convinced that that would be the most important moment of Marion Bartoli's season. And it wasn't. (laughs) Hey, remember when we were at that lobby of the Holiday Inn and... Adrian Manorino came running past us saying Mary Bartoli retired. And we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then Mary Bartoli had retired. I know. And we recorded a podcast later that night. Check it out, guys. It w- I do remember that because I remember Christina Mladenovic laughing. I remember asking Jeannie Bouchard for clarification as to what the hell was going on at the moment. It's all going on in French. Yeah. Which I mostly understood, but I didn't, it didn't make any sense. It was like, Mary Bartoli retired. What? No, I don't know French, clearly. What are they talking about? Super weird. Very weird. Wish I'd been there yeah. for her. Well, I still remember because I remember you being saying just out loud out of no context whatsoever, Bartoli retired. And I looked at you and I was like, you're a dumbass. We watched her match. Like, it's over. She didn't retire, like, from the match. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, remember when Horatio Ceballos beat Rafael Nadal in the final of Vigna del Mar? Oh, man. Talk remember about a result that's not fitting this year. I know. Remember when we had, like, doubts as to whether Rafael Nadal would, like, be good again? Which were, I think, fair, especially after he lost to Russia at Zabios. It was fair, like, through South America, I think. And then he played that one final against David Ferrer, Acapulco, and you're like, oh, no, Acapulco yeah, you're very totally good. totally fixed it. Acapulco changed everything. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right there. And then Inuels was crazy. Yep. Hey, remember when we found out that Petra Kvitova was dating Radek Saponic? Oh, dude, come on, man. No, I don't remember that. All right. Because it's not it didn't happen. thing in my head ever that I think about. Although, remember when Tennis.com had a headline regarding Roddick Stepanek's relationship with Petra, and they called it As the Worm Turns? Ew. <laughs> I think it was Tennis.com. Just threw up a little in my mouth. Yeah. Ew. Gross. Yeah. 
You're welcome. Mm. Hey, remember when Agnieszka Radwanska became a bleach blonde? Oh, man. That was weird. That was weird. Hey, remember when Roger Federer got that really weird short haircut? Yes, I do. That was confusing. It was super confusing. He didn't look good. He looked older. He looked old. He looked much older. He looked old and kind of fat. (laughs) I don't don't know about that part, but (laughs) (laughs) I do remember then he played doubles in Germany with Tommy House. He did not wear a headband. And it was like, who is this man? And it was really like looking into him in like his retired exo future. And it was sad. It made him look old, the loss of the hair. It was very much, he kind of Samsoned himself. You look at the rest of the year, didn't go so hot for short hair Roger. It's true. But then about the World Tour Finals, his hair was all long again, like too long. It's back to good though. You have to overcompensate with that kind of thing. No, there's a perfect length for Roger hair. And I think that he's really, much like his game, struggled to find the sweet spot. Hey, remember how excited everyone was about Ernest Gulbis in March? Oh, March was awesome. Yeah, I do remember that. Remember, that when, he, remember when he lost first round and then picked Heider Maurer to win the U.S. Open? Because <laughs> that was pretty great. I think we all kind of laughed out loud. And we did. And he did, too. I mean, it was, yeah. it was funny. The man, was the, man funny. Has, the man has comic timing. He does. He does. Hey, remember when we had our first guest on this show and it was Petkovic? And that was oh, awesome. It was awesome. Hey, remember when some of the inside jokes that were that came up in that uh, interview, like, have continued on? It's been good. It's been good. I feel like, that was I feel very... like she had fun. Yeah. I feel like, I subsequent, fun. I feel like subsequent guests have been pretty good, too. If you guys I have, like, guest so. requests you want to give us, by the way, we'll take them. We might not be able to get yeah. them all, but we'll certainly listen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, we, and people... Did say they want, we've gotten several things saying we want more Pekovic in 2014. We'll try. We'll try to get her again. I think she's worth the repeat visit. I agree. Hey, remember when Vika like withdrew from Brisbane due to a pedicure injury? I do remember that. She got a lot of mockery for that. She Not did. sure all deserved. I think that might have been a real injury, but it's just one of those things with her track record. Doesn't look great. I think it's just, yeah, it's such like a specific injury that like you're like, you didn't make that up. But yeah, benefit of the doubt. Not so good. No doesn't really go her way and then three weeks later all hell breaks loose yeah it's so weird though because if you i mean it is a weird thing to look back on hey remember when victoria azarenka in her two three four five six in six tournaments that she had entered her first six tournaments she pulled out of one two three four of them yeah Weird, weird year for her. And she won the other two. Yeah, and she won the other two. Hey, remember when we sprinted out to Althea Gibson Court in Charleston to watch Anastasia Rodianova have an absolutely awesome meltdown against Bethany Maddox-Sands in Charleston? And all those players were in the balcony cheering for Bethany. (laughs) Like, openly cheering. Openly cheering. And openly being like, dude, what? Like, totally shocked by Rodia Nova's antics. <laughs> just outlandish behavior. Just outlandish. <laughs> that was pretty great. But also having trouble. Hey, remember when Venus and Serena both played two ma- one two matches in a day? Oh, my gosh. I didn't, but now I do. Yeah, that happened. That was that was kind of a crazy day in Charleston. It's a crazy tournament, really. It really was. Yeah. It was great, though. It's good to be there. Hey, remember when I gave you a dollar to go sing Son of a Preacher Man in an empty bar? Yes. The karaoke machine remember, in Charleston. Remember how the bar wasn't actually that empty, and there were a lot of people staring at me like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, it was a really bad karaoke machine though. Like the just the screen and the lyrics were not coming up in sync correctly, and it was hard. Yeah. I feel like I couldn't give a full performance that I wanted. But you owned it. Oh, but Try. you did though. Oh, thank you. you. No, you. I don't think you've seen 
me and my A game. I don't think we have. <laughs> I really don't. This is true. We've yet to karaoke together. No, it really is. Um, it'll happen in 2014. We all have goals. Hey, remember when Simona Halep won Nuremberg and nobody cared? Yeah. We should have <laughs> probably paid attention to that. We probably should have. Maybe. Oops. Oh, well. Hey, remember when Andy Murray got really excited about pegging Yvonne Lendl with a shot? Oh, best shot in an exhibition. He best so thing happy. that was done for charity this entire season. I feel like that shot really sort of loosened him up, and I feel like he was loose ever after that. I feel like that He's shot still... let him win Wimbledon. He might have. Yeah. Thanks, Yvonne. Yeah, you took one for the team. I know. That was pretty good. Hey, remember that time Sabine Lisicki kind of like got mad at you for implying that she doesn't play well after Wimbledon? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hashtag facts. <laughs> remember when Vashik Pospisil made the semifinals of a Masters? Goodness gracious. That was crazy. Remember when Canada cared about tennis for a week? Canada was tennis for a week. Yeah, it was. That was really strange. That was one of the weirder tournaments we've had. Hey, remember when Alize Cornet um, got in trouble for saying vamos? That was really awesome. <laughs> that was really Have you noticed awesome. that she actually tags her tweets vamos now? Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing. I feel like Alize Cornet is the most underrated like drama queen on the tour. I feel like she gives spectacular angst and entertainment value that people don't seek her out for as much as they should. I agree with that. I mean, I don't know if she's underrated, but she's definitely like... She's under the radar on that. I feel like people don't see like her name on a draw sheet and be like, oh, here come the drama, the way they should. They really should say that, because it is coming. That's just me. It's true. It's true. Hey, it's very, very true. remember when Laura Robinson got tweets from three different One Direction members in one day? I was jealous. <laughs> you were very jealous. Yep. So jealous you had to bring it up in press. She, and then the BBC played that clip of me asking her in press about it at least like 50 times. You really do need to, like, demand royalties. I didn't get one cent of royalties from the Beeb. The Beeb. The Beeb. Not cool. Not not cool at all. Hey, remember when Maria Karolinka broke the top ten, and now it's, like, outside the top 20? I totally don't remember that. Did happen. That's crazy. Yeah. She should be a thing. She really should. She isn't right now. It's just so... She's not. And that's really frustrating. Yeah. Hey, remember when we found out that Maria Chichuk had gray hair? <laughs> It's a sexy salt and pepper, though. I think it's a good look. It's a very good look for her. It's commanding. Her. Yeah, it's better than her, you know, bob short hair thing that she had before. It says boardroom. I like it. It says boardroom, and the other one said more like angry PTA. Oh, which, that's good. That's a good call. You know, which doesn't really... That's not really her. No. Like, she's she's bloodthirsty. All business all the time. Hey, remember when Peter Wozniacki yelled at Julia Shenley was, and now, like never seen her ever again at any other tournament? About to bring up that one. Yeah. <laughs> that was sad. It was we super really, sad. Julie, Julie's been kind of gone. Hey, remember that match that happened in the Middle East between Robson and Putin Seva? We were like, Such oh, Julia and Putin Seva has arrived and she's Amazing. been gone. I know. I but miss good Lord, her, her gift, cel- her celebration, tremendous. Really great. I hope she becomes back in 2014. What happened to her? Ever. She's been hurt. She hasn't played since. She didn't play at all between Wimbledon and the end of the year. She's been playing a couple challengers. Um, not been doing great in them, but she's rusty. So hopefully she comes back. I think she's like a knee injury, but I'm not making that up. Some injury. I think you just, I think you just wanna you wanna create this little cocoon of safety for Poots when maybe she just wasn't very good. I'm not saying she was great. But I'm saying she was wildly entertaining. Oh, yeah. No, that's for sure. Yeah. And I hope she comes back. Hey, remember when Tim Smuchik was the last American man left at the U.S. Open? 
I do remember because you bring it up all the time. Hey, remember when Tim Smichek looked kind of inappropriate once he started growing a mustache for Movember? Yeah, that's not a great look. Did you see him with his full beard when he had the beard? That was weird. It's fine. It's weird, but it's not creepy. He went on like some like uh, Wisconsin daytime talk show recently talking about a charity event he's doing there. And he has a mustache and it looks registered. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It's not a great look. Not a good look because it's kind of wispy. It's not. Uh, When I saw it wasn't wispy, it was just a little John Waters-ish maybe. Yeah, that's wispy to me. No, that's just thin. Or I guess manicured. Yeah. It's, Weirdly manicured. It's, a, it's not great. I hope that. Well, I don't know. It, it, he he kind of embraces it, so he can do what he wants with it. But I think it makes the world uncomfortable. Hey, remember that time in Indian Wells when Marty Fish came in to press and he had this huge red scratch up his arm? And when people asked him about it, he said it was from soap? I do. That was <laughs> random. I do remember that. That's a good poll there. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that very well. It was weird because I under—I mean, I use exfoliating soap. I use a loofah. I don't think that I could ever use it in such a way as to create one huge, like, foot-long scratch on my arm. Yeah. Maybe I, if it was, like, super exfoliating soap and it was, like... No, but if and it's your super skin exfoliating... was like really dry when you used no, it. No, but it wouldn't be a line though. Then you know what I'm saying? Well, you, you like would, if you, you if would you lather if you... yourself in like a straight line with your arm. No, if you take like exfoliating soap, right, and you imagine it as being like like salt, like sand water or sand water, salt, um, sandpaper. Uh huh. Like imagine that. Like how would you create a long red line out of sandpaper on your skin? Not entirely. You fold it, I guess. I don't know. It was strange, but that's a good poll. I don't I'm not, I'm not remember that at all. Hey, remember when Yelena Yankovic ruled the dance floor in Istanbul? I do. I was actually looking through my Instagrams from that night uh, again. They're fun. They're fun. It was a good time. If you enjoy me dancing, they're pretty great. <laughs> they were a good time. Hey, remember that time that you had to take a phone call from Robin Soderling in the Swiss Alps? Yes, we never told that story, actually. You should tell the story. Okay. I just got back from Sweden. Or I was in, gone from Sweden to Switzerland, and I've been trying to talk to Soderling. Hadn't been able to in Sweden because he was out hunting. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> and so he calls. I've been, like, emailing with his manager or his agent or some rep for the company or whatever. And he's like, okay, we'll pick a time. And he's like, okay, sure. Like, Robin will call you to come for the time. I was like, okay, that's fine. So he calls. And I'm like, hey, Robin, like, now's not good. Can we do it in, like, a few hours? And I'm, like, not on this train in the middle of the Alps because I think I'm going to lose signal. And also, I'm, like, on a train in the middle of the Alps. I'm kind of, like, you know, enjoying the windows and whatnot. And it was like, no, we're going to do it now. It's like, oh, okay. And so we talk for a while. I'm, on, like, putting him on speakerphone with, like, the recorder holding up to it in this, like, panoramic train in the middle of, like, what really was sort of the, the peak of the trip, yeah. literally and figuratively. It was, like, the top of the mountains. It was, like... And glacier lakes and all the frozen stuff and uh so i'm like running around the panoramic car like taking all these pictures and like whatever and he's like like ben standing in the corner trying to find like a signal and hope to god that the, that his phone won't run out of batteries yeah and that the signal won't die that's it what actually happened epic. is that i think the first time the signal dropped and this oh no the first time the battery died and because I've been taking photos yep. by, with my iPhone the entire day, I wasn't expecting to have to do a call with it. Then later, the signal dropped, and I never finished the call per se, but I got in a bunch of them already. And, but I had talked to him for a while in the Alps, so I don't have as many photos from that part of the trip, but I think you got plenty, so I'll just mooch off yours. Well, most importantly, I have a photo of you standing <laughs> in the Alps on the phone yeah. with him, so that's a pretty good one, that's I think. That's a pretty good photo. Tell us a story. 
Remember when JJ tried to get us all to fight her? <laughs> I don't know if we told the story. Remember, because she, she was she was doing this lot of press in Charleston, having a great time. I've really believed that doing more press makes her play better. Thought the way for a long time. She, it's like it's like basically for Yelena Yankovic, she's Superman, and the press spotlight is the sun, and, that's right. and she regenerates around it. And that's correct. And, and I think Charleston, I think Charleston really did turn shit around for her. It really did. And she was like having a lot of fun in press. And then as she's leaving the podium one day, she says, you guys want to fight me? Anyone want to fight me? What are you talking about? And she just started <laughs> laughing and walked out. We're like, what? What? It was fun. Oh, she brings the light. And the joy. And the joy. <laughs> hey, remember when Thomas Burditch joined Twitter? Oh my gosh. Who'd have thunk? That was, he's like the biggest surprise. And Federer did too, but I think Burditch is like the weirder one. Because yeah. Burditch, like, who knew he was hiding all of those wham lyrics in his head? Well, that's the thing is like, I think that his music taste or just kind of knowledge has really shocked me. Yeah. More than anything else. And I almost feel like I've been like cheated out of all this Burditch depth that we never got before. So true. So true. Yeah. Which is why it's so nice when Twitters are like him and not. Like, oh, did anyone mention my candy yet? Or can I congratulate someone who won a Poker Stars contest? Well, here's here's one. But... There have been a, a, a rare few who have been able to bring it as consistently. And I give credit to Burdick because since he's joined until now, like, he's been just consistently him. Yeah. It's and pretty just great. like farty. Just like unexpected. Yeah. Very breath of fresh air. Um, For sure. Way to go. And, and weirdly obsessed with, for a long time, with like, fact that he was a bird kind of took that part a little too far it was a little bit like i don't know it it was a little bit like the bird was like him being it was his like ziggy stardust or something it was or his like sasha fierce or something was yeah remember when milos raonic was weirdly for a few days like the most hated man in tennis but not really (laughs) oh for hypothetically i remember that yeah technically i totally do it was so like uncalled for what he did and had anybody else done it, they would have gotten absolute hell. But somehow Milos came out of it okay. Mostly I think, okay. I think he'll yeah, be brought up he again did. if he does. It's a strike against him. That will, it's a strike that will against last him. And will be but... referred back to if he does anything bad again. It'll be interesting to see how he responds to the spotlight and going forward. Because we don't really have a huge data set for him on big stages. We really don't. Hey, remember when we had an awesome time recording episode 61? Oh my god, the memories, Ben. The memories. I'm glad we should take a selfie. Uh, we can't really do that over the phone, but imagine that we are. And thanks for <laughs> listening, guys. If you want to um, see any selfies we might ever post in the future, they might be on our Twitter, which you can follow at NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook, where we post plenty of selfies. Sometimes, not really. Some. Not much. But maybe in the future we'll have more. Uh, Facebook.com slash NCR podcast. And if you're subscribed to us on iTunes, you can imagine selfies of us as you get each new episode delivered to your inbox and leave reviews and all that good stuff there. And we'll see you next time. Hey, I remember you, Courtney. Bye. I remember you too. Later. Hey, do you remember how we will stay up all night?